Welcome to On the Journey Conversations. I'm your host, Sandy Wisdom Martin. Today's episode is brought to you by the Christian Women's Leadership Center of Women's Missionary Union, where God's mission is our passion. Today's guest is Christy Carr, and we are continuing the conversation. Christy went 11 years without having contact with her father, and right before he passed away, she was able to reconnect. So let's hear the rest of the story. You became executor of your father's estate. What did you discover during that process? Oh my goodness! Well, one about him. Well, let me say this: one, I discovered I was the executor. <laughs> surprise! <laughs> surprise! Because any of my siblings, any of us, were very capable and would have done a fantastic job. It was just the day after he went to hospice. One of the things that we discovered was that I knew he had the condo in Birmingham. We didn't know he had three other places Mm -hmm. that he had purchased. He had become a real estate with his real estate license, and he had purchased foreclosed properties, two in North Alabama, one on the western side of Birmingham, and he still had his condo. So we learned that while he was still in the hospital, which was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It was very overwhelming. And so, so it's we, overwhelming for some person to deal with one property. You're dealing with four properties. Four properties. We learned that, and it was when my younger brother, Billy, he went to the, a property in North Alabama and said, let me go and see what's there. And he found the will. He found the letter. He found a letter to each of us. We all decided those letters, we couldn't open them mm-hmm. at that point. He said, I found a will. And I was like, what does the will say? And he said, well, you're the executor. And I said, well, that is so, okay, okay. (laughs) Knowing that I was going to be the executor uh, at that point, just a couple of days later is when he signed the power of attorney. And that kind of made sense as well. And so the days that followed, honestly, um, being an executor is not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. It is not. And it was complicated. Um, This is what I found out about my father. I found out a lot. And every bit of it was positive. You know, I I think that, um, you know, always don't believe what you think. And I'd even heard people along the years say, well, I thought this about your daddy, or didn't your daddy do this or this? And some were very positive and some were very negative. And I thought, you know, when you're going through somebody's closets, when Mm -hmm. you're going through somebody's drawers, when you're going through everything, you really learn a lot about them. Uh, Interestingly enough, because he knew that he made me executor, he even had notes for me. What I find stunning is your father, because I was with you in some of those places, Mm -hmm. and I saw some of the notes that he had left for you. Your father loved his family. Oh my goodness. He cherished his family. He did what he did because he thought he was protecting his family. Yes. Though undiagnosed, it's clear your dad suffered from mental health issues. It is. We have no doubt about that. In a recent article for the Alabama Baptist, Tracy Riggs wrote, the statistics are troubling. According to the National Institutes of Mental Health, Nearly one in five adults in the United States lives with some type of mental illness, and less than half of those receive help. That's just stunning to me. Applied across a church congregation of 250 members, the statistics suggest that as many as 50 people in the congregation 
are living with a diagnosable mental illness. This can include disorders in the categories of mood, eating, traumatic substance abuse, personality, anxiety, or psychotic. One in five, Christy, does that statistic surprise you? One in five. No. I think if you had asked me that question 20 years ago, I'd say, that's shocking. Yeah. But having been through this, no, it's not. And I'll have to say that even when it kind of started, I just thought, oh, Daddy, you're, you're mistaken. And a part of me wanted to say that maybe I could do something or my siblings could speak enough truth into his life to snap him out of it. Mm -hmm. Or, Daddy, no, you didn't really see that. Or, no, they're really not out to get you. Or, really, please, just don't abandon us. Because for 11 years, he thought someone was going to get him because of something he saw. Exactly. Exactly. For him, it was real. And so you ask me, you know, what did I learn about him? There were many notes. And um, pretty much in all of his stuff, there were Bibles. I would say Mm -hmm. if there was one thing that I found every place, multiple Bibles, and not just, oh, I bought this Bible, they were underlined. I can't imagine how many times he read the Bible through. And I remember being moved by your dad's generosity because he was incredibly generous. He, he was very generous. He was very generous. And he certainly thought of others before himself. And yeah. for that, I'm so grateful. I, I think he taught us to be generous. Yeah. Well, you had absolutely no control over the situation with your father. And I can't imagine living a decade without knowing the status of a loved one. What would you say to someone today who may find themselves in a similar position? What would you say to them? Um... I think I would say be patient. While I was angry, I never lashed out at him. Um, Again, it would be through a letter. But I would say just always let them know of your love for them. And and I will say I I do believe my siblings and I, his grandchildren, did that. It was always a, Daddy, we love you. Papa Larry, we love you. We miss you. We would love to see you. In this circumstance, we just, you know, looking back, I I don't know what we could have done differently. Early on, my sister and I hired a private investigator. Yeah. And I went to law enforcement, and law enforcement would say, do you want to file a a missing person report? And I would say, he's not missing. He knows exactly where he is. He just chooses not to be with us. I do want to share something, too. I'll tell you one of the, the greatest gifts. I want to share just a a few things that have brought, I think, great encouragement and really a lasting legacy that we never thought we'd have, is while we did get to see him in October of uh, 2018, it was a couple of years before that that he sent boxes to his children. So my sister received hers, my brothers received theirs. I was the last and I thought, I'm in the same state. I can remember when I received the box and I can remember the postal carrier driving up in my driveway and I thought, that's my box. And she had this very large box. And I said to her, you are bringing me a treasure 
and you don't even know it. And she said, well, thank you for saying that because I take my job very seriously. And I said, well, today you brought me a treasure. What that treasure was is poetry. He had written like a couple of years before in a birthday card, he would write a poem. And I was like, oh, daddy, daddy writes poetry. And my sister had said, oh yeah, he sent some to me. She was a high school English teacher and I kind of helped him out. And um, there were volumes. There were over 2,000 2, poems. 2,000 poems, 2,000 poems. Yeah. And I thought, this is incredible. And they're like in 16 different volumes. And they're all dedicated to his children and his grandchildren. And I can remember getting it and a Bible. And he wanted us to have the King James Bible only because that's the first version of the Bible that he got. And he wrote a note to James and I, to both of our daughters, Carrie and Julie. And he did the same with my brother Tommy and his family and Kathy and Billy. And so we all received mm -hmm. this gift. It was an overwhelming gift. And it was so interesting because one of the things that I first read was, again, it's overwhelming. He wrote this um, kind of an, an autobiography and he called it The Door. And I want to read just a couple of things from that because this was his introduction. He said, the last several years of my life have been a spiritual journey. The journey began with me asking God many times, why me, Lord? I had my life planned and my plan was working. All that changed. Through providential circumstances, I found myself, quote, living in the cave. I won't go on to read um, all, all of this, but the end of, of this introduction, he says, my hope and prayer is that in the final crisis, that we all face fear and depression will become renewed childlike faith and joy as the Holy Spirit brings the only thing that really matters to our remembrance, how much God loves us. Yeah. And that's what he focused on for 11 years. Yeah. And it was during that, from 2006, I found out, through 16, that he wrote those 2,000 poems. poems. And um, he was living in the cave in those four properties. And let me hasten to say that through his paranoia, he didn't stay in any place long because he was afraid they would get him. Exactly. That's why he had four properties. He, that, yes. he moved from place to place. Correct. Yes. Um, it was not income properties or yes. anything yeah. like that. And I have to tell you, Sandy, one of the things, and this was this was after his death, in the property in North Alabama. And while I knew, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, this has been horrendous and a blessing. And oh my goodness, I'm so sorry he lived with this paranoia. And while I knew he had these properties because we were going in and cleaning all this up and, and going through everything, and a camper too, I might add, to clean out. As we were going through all this, I'll never forget the next door neighbor in the property uh, because I met all the neighbors, as you can imagine, and the property. And I saw the gentleman. He came towards me, and he immediately told me he was packing. And I said, well, hello, I'm Christy. He introduced himself, and he asked if I was my father's daughter. And I said yes, but here's what struck me. 
he didn't call my father by his name. I remember that. He called him by another name mm -hmm. that is the name that he used for all of his poetry because he said, you must be Noah's daughter. And I was so taken aback. And I thought, well, okay, I'm not a liar, but he's packing and oh my goodness. Yes, I am. Yeah, why, yes, I am. So this man had been his neighbor for years yes. and his paranoia was so strong, he wouldn't even tell his neighbor his real name. Correct. So I knew then and I just, even at that point, I was in such shock and I just, in my heart, was weeping for my dad. But at the same time, I had to cling to those 12 days because even though I shared with you that that first night, he shared kind of the paranoia with me, you know, and I thought, oh my gosh, what are we in for? He never did it again. That was it. Now, I'm not saying he was healed of it. I'm not yeah. saying any of that. I'm saying he was surrounded by family who loved him mm -hmm. and he loved very much. Yes. Because while I found Bibles in his stuff, I found gifts that I think he forgot about for grandchildren, for children, it was all about his family. That was it. It was his poetry that if you look at those 2,000 poems, many are about his family and how he missed his family. Yeah. Yeah. I've had dear friends suffer with mental illness issues and denial is a huge factor in their lives. What would you tell someone who's listening who may be struggling at this moment but afraid to seek help? I think the first I would say is I'm confident that there are people in your life who really care and they wouldn't judge you. Just go to those people who you know love you. And don't be afraid to disclose that you're struggling with some things and seek help, seek help. You know, because I feel like I lost 11 years. You did. Yeah. yeah. And while I look and say, wow, he used that time to write 2,000 poems and what a legacy Part of me says, could you have written poetry and visited a little bit too? Yeah. Uh, you know, I love your poetry. I'm so excited about it, but wow. But you were robbed. You and your kids and your sibling and their yeah. kids were robbed of 11 years with your father. Yeah. You know, and, and I haven't really mentioned the grandkids. I had the, and I'll call it the privilege of living in the same state. While I can't speak for my siblings and all of their relationships, but I'm telling you, any time they came to Birmingham, my dad was like, I'm taking off, I'm doing this. I mean, it was big time family gathering. So again, he knew his children, he knew his grandchildren. And so because we lived in the same city, he really helped us with our kids growing up. And I can remember our youngest daughter saying, Mama, Papa Larry is AWOL. What did we do? What, what, what did we do? Wow. And I'm like, Julie, we, we, we didn't do it. Did, did we say something? What, what, what did we do? And this is someone who had brought them great joy. Yeah. This is someone on our daughter's Carrie's birthday who had a Disney princess party in high school. And I said, Daddy, would you be the butler? And he was like, with pleasure. <laughs> and he was the best butler you've ever seen. <laughs> so they and the other grandchildren, they, yeah, we missed out. Yeah. We missed out. Are there a few specific scriptures that got you through those difficult days as you wondered where your father was or as you waited by his hospital bed? What sustained you during hmm. the waiting 
either place? Well, two things. I would say Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 for me. Just trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Mm -hmm. Now, the very last days when I knew on that Wednesday before He passed away on Sunday, we knew that time was short. And my sister had already said that she would come down for a few days. And I called her in a panic <laughs> and just said, Kathy, I just, please, can you come early? This, this is not good. And so she did. So those last few days, she and I took turns staying with him at night. Mm -hmm. She spent that Saturday night. And I will say all that Saturday, we sang hymns. We sang hymns to him. And Kathy has a beautiful voice. Mine's decent. Hers is beautiful. We are sisters and we harmonize. We, we can harmonize pretty well. And we could tell that brought him great comfort. It brought comfort to us too. Yeah. And at one time we even thought there at the hospice that they were closing the door and we're like, we're so sorry. They're like, no, we're opening it because other people want to hear. Wow. Yeah. We would sing. Kathy brought her dulcimer. She, she would sing. I would read his poetry to him. And that's one of the things that I shared with the folks was he wrote all these poems. You may see a man here dying, but he has great value. And so I knew on October 14th, just from reading the entry in uh, the first poetry that he wrote, uh, which was based on every day of my utmost forest highest, Oswald Chambers, he wrote this poem based on Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which we know is the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. But this was his words. And it was the last poem I read to him before he passed away. If I don't run my race for God, Will I be letting others down? I should follow His orders and run my race for a crown. If I always abide in Him, let Him choose the time and place. Then rest in Him with all my trials. With joy, I will finish my race. And He did. And He did. And he is enjoying his crown today. Christy, I'm so grateful you would spend time with us because this is, as we're recording this, this is the second anniversary of your father's death. What did you love about your dad? Uh, many things. Um, we share a love for water. I love to be on the water. I love the lake. I love the river. I love the ocean. I love spending time with him at Oak Mountain. Um, back in the late 70s, Billy and I oftentimes would go with him. Kathy and Tommy, they were a little older. I think probably spending the day at Oak Mountain maybe wasn't so appealing, but Billy and I loved it. And it was fun. It was just so fun. What do you miss about your dad? Um, many things. I loved seeing him be a grandfather. I love seeing him be a grandfather. And I believe that um, one of the things my dad said to James, my husband, even when he was in the hospital, and it was just he and James, he said to James, James, I wasn't a very good father, but I wanted to be a great pawpaw. I just wanted to be a great pawpaw. And James said, you were. Wow. I had the privilege of being in the same city mm -hmm. 
And so he saw my children often. They grew up with him. And I love just seeing the laughter and just um, just being in their lives and being so full of joy. Yeah. It was um, going through a divorce and even before that, it, it wasn't a picnic. Being able to see him find such joy and being such a great, as he would say, a pawpaw, it, it was, I miss it. Yeah. Well, Christy, this is a tough topic, but I'm so grateful you were willing to spend a few minutes talking with me about it. Thank you for sharing about your father. As hard as those two weeks were, I'm glad you got to spend those two weeks with your father before he passed. You know, me too, Sandy. It was such a blessing. Oh my goodness, it was such a blessing. So for those of you who are listening, I want to say thank you for listening to this episode of On the Journey Conversations. I also want to encourage you to pick up the phone and call somebody that is yearning to hear your voice. We'll see you next time. <music>